you can live out your MasterChef dream. When you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. The following program is a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com to learn more about this and our other weekly storytelling programs and become a patron today to show your support and get instant access to our extensive archive of downloadable ad-free tales of terror. Thank you for listening and enjoy the show. If darkness is what you're after, seek no more your searches through. You haven't found the darkness, traveler. The darkness has found you. Welcome to Season 3, Episode 2. I'm your host, Jason Hill, and I'm thrilled you could join me tonight. We have another long one for you tonight, from Horror Hill newcomer Micah Edwards. A rags-to-riches yarn about a man who thought he hit pay dirt. Pay dirt that might just bury him alive. You're listening to the standard edition of this program, If you'd like to show your support and enjoy ad-free versions of this and all our other episodes, as well as hundreds of tales from our audio archives dating back to 2012, visit simplyscarypodcast.com and click Patrons at the upper menu to sign up today to get instant access from our friends at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. Thank you for your support. Now... Allow me to escort you to a place where the sun dies and nightmares come to life. Welcome, listener, to the Horror Hill. You haven't found the darkness. The darkness has found you. Now, without further ado, from author Micah Edwards... I give you alterations 
squirrels. Linus spat the word like a curse as he hauled himself out of his recliner. His ungainly exit bumped the end table, spilling his nearly empty beer can to the floor. Linus snatched it up, mopping at the puddle with his socked foot. The scratching noise below him continued unabated. Every year in the spring, squirrels got into his basement. He had no idea where or how. He had sealed the foundation with concrete, sprayed hardening foam insulation around all the windows. There were no gaps he could see, no drains or large pipes leading in or out. And yet, each spring, he would start hearing scratching noises from beneath the floor. It wasn't even like it was the same ones coming back. The rat traps he set made sure of that. All squirrels just seemed to believe that Linus's basement was a fantastic spring break getaway. Linus had considered posting the dead bodies of the previous squirrels who'd tried to move in as a warning to the others, but he figured that his neighbors would probably complain about that sort of yard decoration. Linus peeled off his damp sock and draped it over the arm of the chair to dry. One sock still on, he stomped toward the basement, hoping his footsteps would scare the squirrels away. He'd still have to set the traps, of course, but at least he wouldn't have to deal with the squirrel panicking and trying to escape into the house. The scratching was still going strong when he opened the basement door. Linus paused before turning on the light. It didn't actually sound much like the squirrels. Squirrels made a frantic scritch-scritch-scritch of tiny claws tearing rapidly against wood, or a shuff-shuff-shuff of small bodies burrowing into insulation. This noise was longer and sharper than either of those. It put Linus in mind of a knife being sharpened against a whetstone, a drawn-out shunk, shunk. It felt like the noise something bigger than a squirrel would make. What if a bear got in somehow? Linus wondered, his hand hovering by the light switch. Even in his slightly inebriated state, he immediately dismissed that idea. If there was a hole big enough to admit a bear to his house, he would have noticed it. Still, maybe a badger? An opossum? Aren't there supposed to be coyotes in this area now? The logical side of Linus's brain told him that he was being ridiculous, but... It was rapidly being shouted down by much more vocal sections. Feeling absurd, Linus carefully closed the basement door and quietly walked to the hall closet. He felt around on the top shelf and pulled down a shoebox, which he opened to reveal a handgun and two clips of ammunition. He loaded the pistol and, holding it firmly in front of him, returned to the basement door. Linus took several deep, steadying breaths as he eased the basement door open. The scratching continued, telling him that whatever animal it was was still hard at work. He aimed his pistol toward the approximate source of the noise and, reaching across with his left hand, flipped on the light. The gun fired once immediately as Linus clenched the trigger in shock. In the corner of the basement, barely visible from the top of the stairs, crouched a creature from a nightmare. Its skin was a mottled gray viscous, like a slug. Four tattered wings drooped from its back, shreds of tendons and skin hanging from damaged bones and bloody curtains. Its hands were bladed and jagged-edged, the stubby fingers tipped with terrifying claws that it had been using to tear into the cement floor of Linus's unfinished basement. Startled by the light and the wild gunshot, the creature whirled to face Linus. Its body was humanoid but horribly gaunt, 
every rib visible beneath its taut, slimy skin. Horrible though its body was, its face was worse. It looked vaguely human, a tumultuous parody scratched out by a madman, but its mouth was a slaughterhouse of serrated teeth, protruding forward in a blunt muzzle. Its nose folded into the muzzle, mere flaring slits testing the air, and its compound eyes glittered in dark sockets, each socket holding a cluster of dark, unblinking orbs, nestled together like spider eggs. The creature hissed at Linus, baring its fangs. Linus wanted desperately to run, but if this thing could dig through concrete, his hollow-core wooden door wouldn't even stop it for a second. With adrenaline surging through his body, he focused his trembling hand and fired for center mass, emptying his clip. Training in close range won out over shaking hands, the creature dropped, its chest an icarus ruin. It snapped its muzzle twice vainly as it fell, then laid still. Linus stood at the top of the stairs, eyes wide, heart thundering, afraid to move. He watched the creature for a full minute, convinced it was going to get back up. But, as the black puddle beneath it spread wider and wider, Linus slowly began to believe it was dead. He stared for another few seconds, working up the courage to move, and then ran for the hall closet. He fumbled the shoebox from the shelf, knocking it to the ground and spilling his spare clip to the floor. Cursing, he snatched it up, loaded it into the gun, and ran back for the basement stairs. The creature was still there, still unmoving. With extreme caution, his eyes never leaving the body, Linus slowly descended the staircase. When he reached the final step, the creature's body was no more than ten feet away from him. Linus leaned his arm on the railing, steadying his shot, and aimed carefully at the creature's head. Only after he had fired the entire second clip into its skull did he finally step down onto the basement floor and approach the body. Up close, the creature was even more horrifying. Linus examined it with awe, simultaneously fascinated and repulsed. What was this thing? How had it gotten into his basement? And what had it been doing there? The first two questions had no clear answers, but the third one seemed obvious. There was a hole a half foot deep in the basement floor near the corner, dug away by the creature's powerful claws. Linus stepped gingerly past the body and peered into the hole. It looked like it had torn entirely through the concrete slab to get at something. At the bottom of the hole, something metallic glittered. Linus reached carefully past the jagged concrete remnants and withdrew a slim metal box. It looked like some sort of document tray, the weatherproof kind used to store important papers. A small lock on the front held the box shut, but its contents rattled slightly when the box was moved, so Linus was certain it wasn't empty. As his adrenaline slowly drained away, curiosity began to take its place. What was this box buried in his basement? How had the creature known it was there? How had the creature gotten in? And for that matter, what on earth was it in the first place? Linus carried the box upstairs, stepping warily past the monster's remains again. He sat at his kitchen table and thought, drumming his fingers gently against the box as he did so. He couldn't call the police. The situation was too insane. 
possibly literally so. Linus couldn't discount the possibility that he was actually hallucinating. That would be bad enough if the police arrived and found that he had imagined the whole thing. But what if they arrived and everything was exactly as he'd thought, except that the monster was just a person? I panicked and shot him, was a tough sell when you also had to include. Then I left, got another clip, came back and shot him with all that one too. Besides, even if the police came and saw the monster exactly as he did, they would definitely ask if anything had been in the hole it was digging. Then Linus would either have to lie to them or surrender the box, neither of which he particularly wanted to do. Whatever was in the box was clearly something valuable, and Linus wanted to know what it was. He didn't have the key, of course, but he did have the next best thing. Bolt cutters. A quick snip left the lock and two pieces on his table, and the box lid swung smoothly open. Inside was a single object. A book. It was bound in black leather and tied shut with a black silk ribbon. Its cover was braided with three interlocking circles arranged in a triangle. Two circles on the bottom, one on top. Linus picked it up and turned it carefully over in his hands. The book gave the impression of both craftsmanship and age. Its cover was still supple but showing cracks in places, and the edges of the pages were yellowed. The ribbon was unfrayed, however, and when Linus untied it and opened the book, the ink on the vellum pages was rich and unfaded. The text itself was unsettling. The symbols were completely foreign, like no language Linus had ever seen before. Despite that, he had a distinct sense that he knew how to read them, or could know if he simply desired it. The book throbbed with knowledge, eager to share what it knew. As he flipped through the pages, Linus found his lips starting to form strange syllables without any real volition on his part. He clamped his lips together and firmly closed the book. Even with the cover shut, the symbols Linus had seen danced in his head, taunting him daring him to speak them aloud. He pressed his hands to the table and shook his head, trying to will away the alien words in his mind. The book's cover caught his attention, its design of linked rings appealingly simple after the complicated knots of the symbols within. Linus reached out and traced his index finger around the ring on the bottom right, looping gently around its curve. This, he understood without knowing how, was how he could access the book. A simple commitment of blood, and he and the book would become bonded. A mere drop was all it would take. Such an easy thing to do. Such a small sacrifice to make. Such intense power to be gained. Linus forced his gaze away from the book. He placed it back in its box and firmly closed the lid. He put the symbols out of his mind and took out his phone to call the police. To his startlement, Linus found that his hand held not his phone, but the black leather book. He was not dialing, but instead lightly tracing the power circles once more. And, with the book once again in his hand, its siren call sang even more sweetly in his mind. I should go upstairs, Linus thought as he picked up the sharp-edged metal he had cut from the lock. I should just walk away, go to sleep, deal with this in the morning, he told himself as he slashed the edge against his index finger and watched the blood well up. 
Curiosity killed the cat, he thought. For a moment, he hesitated, then pressed his bleeding finger against the book's cover. The blood flowed rapidly around the circle. The book thirstily drank it in. It took only seconds for the ring to fill in, the crimson of the blood barely visible against the book's black cover. Twenty-four hours later, Linus knew. That was how long it would take the book to accept his blood fully, to allow him access to its secrets. Just one day until he would be able to understand everything it had to offer. But satisfaction brought it back, he said out loud, holding the book in both hands. This time, when he put it into its box, it went quietly. They were connected now. The next evening arrived. Linus held the book in his hands, savoring the power he could feel inside of it. It was still closed, for the twenty-four hours were not quite up, and the words within not yet his to speak. Linus knew to the second when the book would fully yield its secrets to him. Could feel the countdown pulsing in his body like a second heart. He stroked the book, running his fingers along the edge of the binding, tracing his fingernail around the embossed rings on the cover. He fantasized about what he could do with the power it contained. The exact form was still a mystery to him, but his dreams had been full of promises of wealth, of power, of wishes granted. Linus never doubted for an instant that the book would deliver all of this and more, and he could barely wait to see how it would provide. The last minute counted down. The pulse grew stronger with each beat, until, as the final second arrived, it suffused Linus's entire body. His skin tingled. He felt as if for the first time in his life, he was truly awake. Carefully, reverently, he opened the book. The symbols which had seemed so alien yesterday now leapt out at him, eager to share their information. Each page was titled with one large character, unlike any written language Linus had ever seen before. Though the hand-drawn lines were simple and clean, the symbols gave the impression of depth and three-dimensionality. They felt somehow more real than the room around them, weightier and more solid. Linus flipped slowly through the book, reading the header characters. Contain. Fetch. No. Erase. Alter. Overlook. Redeem. Reveal. Obey. Dozens of words, the explanation of each spilling over pages and pages. But even just reading the titles flooded his mind with information. Linus was bombarded with quick snippets of what each word could do, what changes it could impose on reality. It was too much. His head throbbed, not in anticipation as with the pulse, but in pain. His skull felt like an overstuffed suitcase that someone was jamming down and trying to zip closed. And there was still more in the book. More power. More knowledge. All jostling for position. With a cry, Linus slammed the book shut. His head ached. His face was wet. He gingerly pressed his fingertips to his cheeks and was relieved to see that the liquid was only tears. Not blood. Even closed, the book still yearned promised, cajoled. 
Linus drummed his fingers restlessly on the book's cover, unwilling to relinquish physical contact despite the splitting pain in his head. Reading a large portion of the book at once had clearly been a mistake. Linus resolved to pop several aspirin, lie down in a dark room, and sleep off the headache. The book would be here when he awoke, and he would not duplicate his mistake of trying to comprehend it all at once. Four pills and a glass of water later, Linus laid down on the couch to shut his eyes. He reached up to fluff the pillow under his head, only to wrap his knuckles on something flat, hard, and solid. Frowning, Linus sat up and moved the pillow. Beneath it lay the book, its dark leather cover standing out like a hole against the yellow fabric of the couch. The three rings seemed to stare back at Linus, challenging him. They wanted him to complete the joining. They wanted him to acquire the knowledge. They wanted him to become more. Fine, said Linus, tapping the center of the ring he had marked with his blood. His head was already feeling better. He would risk one page. Fine. He flipped the book open almost at random, landing on a page labeled Alter. He preemptively winced expecting his head to hurt, but everything felt fine. He cautiously read onward, the symbols translating themselves in his brain as if he were fluent. The ritual seemed fairly simple. The altar rune had to be drawn in precisely the correct fashion. But, complex though it was, Linus couldn't imagine ever drawing it the wrong way. The symbols were so perfectly clear and correct that having once seen them, it felt like they could never be forgotten. Linus again found himself thinking that the contents of the book were simply more present than the rest of reality, more fundamental. His headache forgotten, Linus took a cushion from the couch as a test object for the ritual and set off in search of something to write with. A minute's worth of searching through drawers yielded a thick black marker, and, with careful strokes, Linus drew the curves, angles, and intersecting lines of altar across the face of the pillow. The book's instructions said that it was the focus and intent that mattered for Alter that would inform the new shape the item was to take. It also cautioned that Alter, as its name implied, neither added nor subtracted. Anything it created was drawn from the manipulated item. Reality could only be stretched so thin. Everything had a cost. As Linus drew, he focused on the idea of the pillow shifting color. It would be a clear and immediate result, and shouldn't run afoul of the spell's limitation or changing the amount of material. A simple test, and therefore, a good way to start. It never occurred to Linus that the ritual might not work. Nothing about the book allowed for that sort of doubt. His only point of curiosity was how exactly it would work. Would there be a shimmer in the air? some sort of light or sound. Would there be heat? A flash? Brimstone? None of these happened when Linus completed the rune. He stared at the purple pillow nonplussed. Oh, maybe it takes a minute to do anything, he wondered, doubt beginning to creep in at last. A thought tugged at Linus's mind as he waited for the spell to take effect. He carried the purple pillow back into the den. The couch was yellow, all of its pillows were yellow, and now that Linus thought about it, obviously the pillow he had taken from it had been yellow, but he had been picturing it purple, 
and altar had made it so. It had done it so thoroughly and unobtrusively that Linus had not even realized it had happened. Linus grinned, tossing the mismatched pillow onto the couch. Time to find out how much this ritual could do. In short order, Linus had an answer to his question and a set of badly mismatched couch pillows. One was nearly twice its original size, and although it was definitely thinner and less cushioned than the others, Alter had managed to press the existing material into service. One had a bladed edge, sharp enough to cut the other pillows, and one was no longer a pillow at all, but a pile of several dozen small gold coins. It was this last that made Linus whoop with joy, as best as he could tell from his quick internet research, assuming Alter had made real pure gold, those little discs were worth about 1500 bucks a piece. He had just turned a couch pillow into $75,000 worth of gold. Obviously you're not going to get full market price from any shop, Linus told himself, trying unsuccessfully to temper his enthusiasm. Still, 50k maybe? Not bad for a pillow. Although it was nearly midnight, Linus still checked the operating hours of several nearby cash-for-gold stores just in case. As expected, they were long since closed. Linus reluctantly admitted that he should probably turn in for the night as well. He set the heavy coins aside and turned toward the bedroom. But his eye was caught by the book, propped up on the arm of the couch. Read a little more, it seemed to say to him. Learn another trick or two. Linus shook his head, slowly at first, then firmly, remembering the earlier explosion of pain in his head. No, slow and steady. He turned again for the bedroom, then hesitated. Without being completely sure why he was doing it, he returned to the couch, picked up the book, and carried it with him to bed. He laid it on the bedside table. Its cover reflected the light from the small lamp, capturing it as a bright spot in the middle of one of the interlocking circles. I'll learn all your secrets soon, said Linus, patting the book. Soon. He turned out the light and settled down to sleep, already dreaming about everything he was going to buy with his newfound wealth. Ninety-five hundred bucks. What? You've got to be kidding me. The man behind the cash for gold counter did not look like he was kidding. In fact, the look he gave Linus was one of someone who had seen far too many people try to pull one over on him, and who was thoroughly sick of it. Look, he said, chewing heavily on his gum, it's the price I'm offering. Take it or leave it. But they're worth ten times that much. Yeah, then go sell them to whoever's going to pay you ten times as much. I won't hold it against you. I would do the same. I mean, I don't exactly... Linus started. It's just the price of gold. Sure, if it's pure. And yeah, the man raised a hand to forestall Linus's complaints. It tests out okay, though I gotta say, you are awfully sure that this was gonna be pure gold, considering that you just found these coins in your basement. The man's tone made it extremely clear how much truth he believed that statement to contain. I did find them in my basement, Linus exclaimed hotly. He had been proud of that story. It felt like it had the ring of truth, since, after all, he sort of had found them in his basement. 
There was just also an extra step involved, that was all. The man looked unimpressed. Yeah, no, obviously, lots of folks got pirate treasure under their houses. Look, I'm not interested in arguing about this. You say you found them under your house. You found them under your house. Good for you. Quite a windfall. Take your 9500 bucks and be happy. That's absolute highway robbery. You're taking 90% cut? Yeah, and I'm taking 100% of the risk. What risk? The man scrutinized Linus, his eyes narrowing slightly. The risk of what this gold is and who's going to come looking for it. There's never been a coin stamped that didn't have a mark of some kind on it. But somehow, you got 50 of them, featureless as washes. So that says to me that these got melted down. And I gotta ask myself what was wrong, or maybe identifiable, about the form they was in before. Now, if I keep this sale under 10 grand, I don't have to report it to the IRS. And I'm thinking in this situation that that's probably a good thing for both of us. So, you walk away with 9,500 bucks, and this gold becomes my problem. Wait said Linus. You have to report sales over $10,000 to the IRS? Sure do, and that goes the same for multiple sales totaling ten grand at the same day. Plus, banks will look for suspicious patterns of deposits and withdrawals that might indicate money laundering, just in case you're thinking about trying to spread this out across a bunch of different shops. He grinned unpleasantly. Linus stood there thinking. The man behind the counter began to stack up the coins. Look, said Linus desperately, I'll sell you ten of the coins for that. It's still a good deal for you. The man shook his head. No deal. I know you got all of these, and frankly, I don't think you're in a position to get rid of them. So, I think you need me. Like I said before, you got my offer. Take it, leave it. You want this 9500 bucks, or what? Nah, forget it. Linus swept the coins back into the cardboard box he'd brought them in. Forget it. Good luck with your treasure, the man called after him as Linus stomped angrily out the door. In the parking lot, Linus stewed in his car for a minute, considering his options. There were other gold-buying stores in town. Pawn shops, too. He could take the coins to them, show them only a few coins instead of all fifty. Maybe get a decent deal. It would take longer. He'd have to head up a few places, do a little more driving, but he'd come away with a lot more than 10k for his troubles. That was worth a little legwork. To Linus's dismay, no shop was willing to offer him more than $300 per coin. He brought 10 into the next shop and was offered a total of 3,000, which he turned down. Sure, he could get a better deal. The buyer in the next business looked at the five coins Linus presented him and offered a paltry 1250 worse than the previous one. Linus didn't even deign to argue this time. He simply scooped up his coins and indignantly stormed out. I could go to 2,000, the man called, astonished at Linus's extreme reaction, but the door was already closing behind him. Linus flung the box of coins into his car, frustrated. How could it possibly be this hard to trade gold for money? Gold was supposed to be the universal currency. He tried to think of something else he could sell, but his thoughts just bounced around various commodities. Silver, 
copper, diamonds. There was no reason to believe that any of them would be any easier to offload than gold. Linus felt lied to, almost betrayed. His thoughts straight back to the book. Surely it had a better answer for him. He'd only really read one page, and it had hundreds. A word flashed into his mind, not an English word, but one of the book's weighty symbols. Fetch. Linus said the word out loud, experimentally. The car dashboard pulsed, rippling like water, and Linus's ears popped. His throat hurt afterward, and his jaw ached as if he'd been grinding his teeth all night. Beyond that, though, the word had no visible effect. It did do one thing for Linus, though. It solidified in his mind that returning to the book was the best step to take next. Just the utterance of the word fetch, with no knowledge of how to perform the ritual at all, had warped the world for a moment. This felt stronger than alter, and if it did what Linus believed, it would turn out to be significantly more useful, too. He hastened home and hurried inside, the useless gold coins forgotten in the car. Fetch would bring him what he needed. Fetch would sidestep all of the problems that had been thrown at him today. Fetch was the answer he needed. The book was waiting for him on his bedside table. When Linus picked it up, it fell open almost immediately to the correct page, as if it had been anticipating his desires. The instructions for Fetch were much longer than the one-page explanation of Alter, and more thorough as well. In the end, though, the process was similar. The presence of the symbol, combined with the will to focus it, created the effect. Fetch opened a small window to whatever was desired. Most of the instructions were either guidelines on clarity of thought, or various warnings regarding retrieval, duration, and other limitations of the Fetch portal. Linus read the pages impatiently, then set the book aside, eager to try it out for himself. He cleared his mind, and focused on what he'd been attempting to get all day. Money. Bundles of cash wrapped in those little paper bands announcing the denomination of the bills inside, like in the movies. Unattended, Linus thought. Unnoticed. He pictured it as clearly as he could, and then drew the symbol for fetch in the air in front of him. His hands danced through the motions as if he'd done it a thousand times before. The air shimmered, thrummed with intensity. When Linus drew his fingers through the final motions, sweeping them around to meet in a circle, his fingertips sliced open the space in front of him like a razor through cloth. Thin air fell away in a circle, revealing a shrink-wrapped pallet in some sort of dark room. It gave the impression of being large, even cavernous, but Linus barely noticed. He had eyes only for what could be seen beneath the plastic wrap. Money. Bound stacks of bills exactly as he had envisioned. Linus reached through the hole in the air and tore at the thick plastic with his fingers. The angle was awkward and Linus was wary of getting his head too close to the edge of the portal, which the book had cautioned against. After a few minutes, though, he had torn away enough of the plastic to free his prize. Linus grabbed a fistful of bills and pried them free from the stacked pallet, laughing. He dropped them on the floor in front of him and reached back through the fetch portal filling his hands again. He pulled the money to his nose and inhaled deeply, relishing the smell of it. By the time Linus went to reach back through the portal for a third grab, it had closed. He wasn't entirely certain why, whether it was due to wavering attention or a time limit on fetch, but it hardly mattered. 
Linus sat down to count his bounty and found that he had retrieved 17 bundles of bills, each one a set of crisp hundreds, bound up in a stack of 50, $5,000 apiece, $85,000 in total. You can take your 10 grand and shove it, Linus exclaimed, punching the air jubilantly. Screw you and your stupid gold. The next few days were everything Linus had always imagined being rich would be like. He called in sick to work in order to have time to fully appreciate his new luxurious lifestyle. He slept late and woke up without an alarm blaring noise at him. He went to expensive stores, picked out expensive clothes, and wore them out to fancy meals. He bought an excessively large television and a sound system to go with it, and he paid for it all in cash without doing more than glancing at the bill. After all, what did he care? There was much more where that came from. There had to have been hundreds of bundles on that pallet. When Linus ran out, he could simply fetch some more. Before the week was up, Linus found himself doing just that. He would never have called himself thrifty, but he was slightly amazed that he had managed to burn through the better part of $100,000 in less than a week. Still, it had been an excellent week, and it's not like it matters, Linus thought as he calmed his mind and focused on the money as he'd last seen it, the great stacks of it, still held on the pallet by the torn shrink wrap. He breathed deeply, steadily, and traced his hands through the motion of fetch. The circle in the air dropped away. The money sat enticingly before him, just as he had envisioned it. Linus reached boldly through, already picturing what else he might buy, when suddenly... His forearms were seized by an unseen force, and he was hauled bodily through the fetch portal. Come visit torment unknown beyond eternal joyous dreaming, surrounding infinity without ceasing commitment, compatriot friends in blood, dependable, dependence, forever. Linus screamed as his mind was assaulted, every sense battered by a bruising rush of information. Voices screamed in his ears in languages familiar and not their meaning always just on the edge of comprehension. His skin was stroked, burnt, abraded, tickled. Tastes ran rampant through his mouth, saliva spurting from the corners to hang in a drooling rope over his chin. Scents bloomed inside his nose, pleasant and foul, mixing in great olfactorial swirls. Colors erupted in his eyes, forming abstract shapes that moved with a definite intelligence things that were somehow alive in a way he had never understood or even considered before. All of this happened in less than a second. The span of time it took Linus to fall through the portal. He crashed to the ground on the far side, a sweating, shaking mess, unsure of where he was or what had happened. The brutal kick to his ribs was almost a relief. It hurt agonizingly, but it was a single sensation something Linus could latch onto and use to center himself. He was present. He was being attacked. He curled up into a ball to protect himself. Get him up! came a voice. A powerful hand seized Linus by the arm and pulled, lifting him off the ground. He resisted, trying to remain curled up, until a kick to his kidney caused him to spring straight. Linus was deposited roughly onto his feet, held upright more by the crushing hands on his shoulders than by his own volition. I'm a reasonable man, the voice said. A rational one. Look at me, please! 
I want to know that you're listening. Linus simply hung there, still reeling from the trip to the portal. He was only dimly aware of the words, and even less aware that they were directed toward him. Hit him, said the voice, and Linus's head was rocked to the side as pain exploded in his right cheek. He saw stars and tasted blood in his mouth. Like the kick, these painful sensations helped bring him back to reality, replacing the riotous memory of sensory overload with a clear and immediate stimulus. I said look at me. Linus finally processed that he was being addressed. He struggled to open his eyes. The world swam briefly, then resolved. He was in a warehouse, being held up by an overly muscled man in jeans and a tight black t-shirt. He had a gun holstered at his waist, as did his partner, a skinnier, younger man, also in jeans and a black shirt. Maybe it's the warehouse uniform, Linus thought inanely. Over here, thank you. Linus's eyes focused on a man standing a dozen feet away, the one who was speaking to him. The man was sharply attired in a tailored suit. He was looking at Linus with disdain. So, as I was saying, I am a rational man. Magic is for kiddie shows and gullible suckers. I believe in clever people playing tricks. So, when I found that a big swipe of my money was gone from the middle of my locked and guarded warehouse, I didn't think it was magic. I thought it was a trick. Now, my boys swore to me that no one had gotten in or out, and the cameras outside backed them up. But it wouldn't be much of a trick if it was obvious how it was done, right? So, that didn't mean much to me. It did mean that I didn't have any lead on who did it, though. And I didn't much care for that at all. Which is why I was in here, walking the floor and checking for any sort of secret tunnels, roof access, anything like that. I'd hoped you might be dumb enough to come back. I wasn't counting on it. I was willing to work with just finding out how you'd gotten in, so that no one else could follow in your footsteps. But what a stroke of luck for me that you were that stupid after all. Definitely my lucky day. I'm not going to ask you where my money is. I know the answer to that. It's gone already, or else you wouldn't be back here. So, what I am going to ask instead is, give me a reason not to kill you right now. Give me 85,000 reasons. Linus struggled weakly, but the grip on his arms was like a vice. I, I can, I can show you what I did, he muttered. How I did it. I can teach you to do it. Well now, said the man in the suit, that would be an interesting thing to know. You steal some kind of machine? Some kind of fucking sci-fi thing to let you walk through walls? No, no, insisted Linus. It's, it's just me. It's a thing I know how to do. I can show you. You can do it. He started to raise his arms, only to cry out in pain as the man holding him up somehow increased the pressure further, digging into sensitive nerves. Let him show me, the man in the suit said, and the pressure on Linus's arms lessened. Although, this trick of yours takes both hands to do. Any footwork? N no, just the hands, said Linus. The man in the suit smiled drew a gun from a shoulder holster beneath his suit coat 
and fired a shot directly into the mate of Linus's right thigh. The femur shattered, bright shards of white popping out through Linus's skin. Blood gushed forth, soaking his pants with astonishing rapidity. Linus shrieked and tried to fall, but the man behind him held him upright. Linus could not feel the man's hands on his shoulders. The pain in his leg was blinding, eclipsing everything else. Oh, that is a lot of blood, said the man in the suit. Better hurry up and show me your little trick. I've got something that'll stop the bleeding, but I'm going to need a reason to give it to you. I'll add it to the bill of what you owe me. In a moment of clarity, Linus understood that he was never leaving this warehouse alive. The man in the suit was toying with him like a cat plays with a mouse. As soon as he ceased to be amusing, he was dead. Unless he could change the script. Linus dropped his right hand to his leg, coating his fingers in his own blood. As the man in the suit watched curiously, gun still pointed, Linus painted the lines of altar on his own chest. His right leg still screaming in agony, Linus dropped to his left knee, reaching back to grab the neck of the man holding him as he did so. The man flew through the air with shocking ease, catapulted by Linus's abruptly augmented muscles. He smashed into the man with the suit, and another gunshot rang out as they both tumbled a half dozen feet backward, crashing into a heap onto the cement. The suited man's gun skittered away across the floor. Linus collapsed as well, his right leg a constant wail of pain. The skinny man rushed to capitalize on the situation, running in to aim a kick at Linus's ruined thigh. Linus grabbed the man by the ankle and squeezed, hearing bones pop. The man yelped and shook his foot, trying to free it, but Linus pulled hard and yanked him off of his feet. As he fell, Linus lashed out with his right fist, connecting with the man's side. Ribs broke, and the man let out a deep groan as his side indented under Linus's unnaturally powerful strikes. He was still moving, though, so Linus hauled on his foot again, sliding the man's body around. This brought his neck into reach. Linus slammed his fist into it, yielding a meaty crunch. The man choked, gargled, flailed for a moment, and then fell still. Linus was starting to feel lightheaded from blood loss. He rubbed his fingers through the spreading pool beneath him, reapplying the blood, and drew a new altar at his hip. The pain stopped immediately. The leg reset as if it had never been shot. The lightheadedness remained, however. This was unsurprising, given how much blood remained on the floor. Clever people, snarled the man in the suit. His new suit was now in disarray, dirtied, bloodied, and torn. He struggled with the body pinning him down. That man's neck had snapped from the force of Linus's throw. Doing clever tricks. Linus rose to his feet just in time to see the man in the suit unsnapping the holster on his bodyguard's belt. Linus dove for safety behind the pallet of money as his opponent pulled out the gun and fired off a barrage of wild shots. Somewhere across the warehouse, doors opened and people entered, shouting questions. He's over here! The man in the suit shouted. He fired two more shots, forcing Linus to keep his head down. Let's see your tricks now, clever boy! Running footsteps brought the voices steadily closer. There were at least five people maybe more. It was safe to assume that they were all armed. Linus considered his options, which were few. Lightheaded as he was, he'd be hard-pressed to take on even one opponent in a fight, 
let alone five, and that was before introducing guns into the equation. Assuming he wanted to make it out alive, Linus really had only one option. He gritted his teeth, steeling himself as best he could. He thought of safety, of solitude, of a lack of people, and drew the rune for fetch. The circle appeared just as the first shouts of, There he is! rang out from behind him. Grimacing, Linus squeezed his eyes shut and thrust himself through the circle. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Ever-present individuals, wrapped, wrapped, communally, vast destruction, colossal, venturesome, near totality, whether consuming voracious alembic spaces, counterposit, withering rot, emptiness, delicacy, concordance, temporal elevation, lost starwalk. When Linus finally raised himself from the floor, his first thought was that it had somehow failed to work. He was still in the warehouse, still on a cold cement floor, still lying in sticky blood. But, as his thoughts painfully nodded, his mind recovering from the brutal assault of the fetch portal, the differences slowly made themselves clear. First and foremost, he was alone. No dead bodies near him, no live assailants running toward him with guns out. Wherever he was, it was safe, at least temporarily. Secondarily, this warehouse, unlike the other, was empty. Empty and, as far as Linus could tell, the dim light making its way down from the ceiling, abandoned. Weak beams of light pierced the roof in dozens of places, dust dancing thickly in them. The floor around Linus was heavily coated in undisturbed dust. No one had been here for a very long time. Third, 
from the way he felt. There was absolutely no chance that he had not gone through the portal. His mind felt as if it had been raked with hot claws, his body as if it had been dissected and reassembled backwards. Colors rang in his ears, a fading memory that he could no longer quite understand. If he spoke, he was not certain it would be in English. A word quivered on the tip of his tongue, ready to test the theory. Linus swallowed it, afraid to find out. Instead, Linus pushed himself to his feet and looked around. His head swam and his stomach growled. He was hungry, almost literally starving. Alter had saved him from death through blood loss, but it had cannibalized his body to do so. Linus could not recall ever being this hungry in his life. It possessed him, an automatic desire as unignorable as the need to breathe. Linus took out his phone, hoping to find out where he was, but was greeted with zero bars, no connection. He turned on the flashlight and located a door. Dust swirled as he strode across the floor, making him cough. Each one echoed like a gunshot in the forgotten warehouse. The door was locked, chained shut from the outside. Linus took a running start and rammed the heavy doors, tearing one handle free and crashing outside to freedom. His stomach snarled again, cramping as it demanded attention, but for an instant, Linus was distracted from even that elemental need. It was nighttime. Linus stood on an empty city street. The buildings around him were decrepit and rusty, but free of graffiti. The street itself was empty but clear of trash. The gutters were as clean as if they'd just been swept. The entire scene was lit in a faintly greenish light, and it was this that had caught Linus's attention. His gaze was fixed on the sky, where a waxing moon shone brightly. Instead of the silver orb he knew, though, this one was green and verdant, wrapped in thick bands of white clouds. In the small sliver of black, lights twinkled, an alien city, a light in the night. Where am I? asked Linus, the words escaping his mouth without any real thought. He felt a surge of relief as he heard his own voice speaking English. Another stomach cramp nearly brought him to his knees. Linus briefly considered using fetch to obtain some food before shoving the idea violently away. He would risk it if he had to, but surely there was some food around here. He wasn't a city of some sort. There was no need to expose himself to whatever lay beyond the portal again. Linus set off through the streets, heading toward the sound of traffic. A few minutes' walk took him from the disused industrial district he was in to a six-lane road with some manner of life on it. The cars that passed were strangely shaped, and the names on the businesses were unfamiliar, but the signs were at least in English, and Linus could recognize a restaurant when he saw one. He entered one that appeared to be a sandwich shop. The door whispered quietly open at his approach, but when Linus stepped inside, the shop was completely devoid of life. CUE not detected, announced a mellifluous voice. Please re enter the store. Linus looked around, startled, but saw no obvious source for the speech. As he searched for the speaker, the message repeated CUE not detected. Please re enter the store. Ignoring the voice, Linus strode toward the food, intent on filling his stomach. The voice sounded again CUE not detected. Removal of food will be treated as a class 4 misdemeanor and filed appropriately. Jamming hunks of meat into his mouth, Linus barely even heard it. 
His stomach twisted, trying to pull the food down his throat faster. Linus swallowed as quickly as he could, barely taking time to chew. His throat worked up and down, spasmodically trying to swallow the food even as he crammed more in. The meat was an unfamiliar taste and texture, but Linus didn't care. It was food. That was all that mattered. Engaging biometric recognition. Fines and standing loss will be automatically applied to your account. The computerized voice sounded gently sad, as if Linus had disappointed it. Mm, good luck, Linus mumbled indistinctly, still stuffing food into his mouth with both hands. I don't even have an account. No match found, the voice declared. Told you. Undocumented individual detected. This is a class one felony. Remain where you are. Authorities are on their way. Linus swore. Yep, fat chance of that. They grabbed two more fistfuls of food and ran for the door, nearly slamming into it when it refused to open. Open up! Remain where you are. Authorities are on their way. Linus smashed the door with his foot, battering it off of its track and sending it crashing into the street. Unlawful destruction of property is a class one misdemeanor and will be filed appropriately. Fines and standing loss will be automatically applied to your account. The store called after Linus, but he was already fleeing into the green-tinted night. Two blocks away, Linus slowed to a walk, breathing heavily. He had heard no sirens, seen no sign of pursuit. The store was clearly just repeating recorded messages. And while Linus had no doubt that it had called the cops on him, he figured there was a good chance that the station was only lightly staffed at this time of night. With any luck, he'd have another several minutes to figure out his next move, maybe even as much as a half an hour. Linus was taking another bite of the sliced meat he had stolen when something slammed into his shoulder, sending him stumbling forward. He was turning around to see who had punched him when he realized that he was now sporting a rapidly growing glob of orange foam. It was spreading up his back and across his shoulder, binding his left arm to his side and hardening as it went. Another shot slapped him in the lower back, and Linus spun about frantically, looking for his attacker. He finally spotted it twenty feet up, a small black drone hovering in midair, its gun barrel trained on him. He ducked as it fired a third shot, his action made awkward by the thick foam coating his lower back. Get away! You've got the wrong guy! Undocumented individual 3A419SI-Alpha the drone announced. Confirmed. You were recorded in Proveveries. An account has been created. You will be documented. The drone fired a fourth shot, striking Linus in the leg. He frantically looked around for something to throw, but the streets were impeccably clean. Snarling, he took his phone from his pocket, took careful aim, and hurled it at the drone with all of his augmented strength. The phone shattered when it hit, but it also splintered the drone's hull. The robot crashed to the ground in a shower of sparks, still blustering. Unlawful destruction of a police unit is a class three felony and will be, be, be filed appropriately. Fines and standing low. Linus stomped it viciously into the asphalt, cutting it off mid-threat. Yeah? He asked, ripping one of its rotors free and using the blade to scrape the clinging orange foam from his body. Well, let's see you apply it to me now. Without any other convenient writing material at hand, Linus stabbed himself in the finger and used the blood to draw a small altar symbol on his face. 
He walked off with a merry step, leaving the drone wreckage lying in the road. Amidst the shreds of foam with which it had tried to trap him, another drone zipped by overhead, and Linus tensed up for a moment when he saw it. It passed by without stopping, however, and he relaxed again. He had gambled that their biometric recognition was nothing more than facial analysis, and had shifted his features so as to be unrecognizable. So much for your high technology, Linus smirked. His voice sounded strange, deeper than he was used to. Not bad, just surprising. He made it another block before the now familiar sting of an expanding foam pellet struck him in the back. Ow! You've got the wrong guy! Linus turned to gesticulate at the hovering drone, making sure it could see his new face. Undocumented individual 3A419SI beta. Analysis of circumstantial evidence suggests that you are undocumented individual 3A419SI alpha. Attempting to defraud a police unit is a class 2 misdemeanor and will be filed appropriately. Accounts have been cross-linked. Fines and standing loss will be automatically applied to your account. Linus hurled the rotor blade at it, but it pinged off of the drone with no visible damage. The drone rose higher and fired another pellet at him, which he barely dodged. It struck the street just as another shot hit Linus from behind, smacking painfully into the back of his neck. Attempted unlawful destruction of a police unit is a class 2 misdemeanor and will be filed appropriately. The unit in front of him was saying. From behind him, an identically pitched voice declared, Evasion of a police unit is a class 3 misdemeanor and will be filed appropriately. The two overlapping voices reached the second line at nearly the same time, their robotic chants rising in a matched chorus. Fines and standing loss will be automatically applied to your account. Linus turned to run, only to find himself facing a third drone. This one fired a pellet directly into his chest, even as the other two struck him again, one in each leg. Linus struggled to free himself and succeeded in tearing his arms free, but this only prompted a fresh volley from the police units. Linus overbalanced and, unable to bend his knees to catch himself, toppled to the sidewalk. The foam continued to expand, creeping up Linus's neck and over his chin. Hey, this stuff's gonna kill me! Get me out! Undocumented individual 3A419SI-alpha, you will not be harmed until your account has been assessed and appropriate punitive measures can be determined. What's that supposed to mean? Linus tried to ask, but the foam was now covering his mouth and rippling up toward his nose. It smelled plasticky and sweet, and before he realized what was happening, Linus found his eyelids closing as the anesthetic foam put him to sleep. Linus awoke in a sterile cell. He had been stripped of his clothes and was now wearing a thin pajama suit that looked to be made out of some kind of paper, but which resisted his light efforts to tear it. The door out of the room had no handle on the inside. There were no windows. A bluish light came from recessed strips set in the ceiling, twelve feet overhead. As far as Linus could tell, he was alone. Experimentally, he called out, Hello? Good morning, undocumented individual 3A419SI-alpha. The voice spoke from nowhere. It was less demanding than the police drones, but still in the same artificial timber. I'm still undocumented? I thought that one drone said that you were going to document me. 
Unfortunately, your actions of last night lowered your ROSS score significantly. With no previous positive balance to mitigate it, you are below the level necessary to apply for or maintain citizenship. My, my what score? Your record of social standing. Last night, you committed the following. Destruction of a police unit. Class 1 felt Linus waved it away. Yeah, yeah, I know, I was there. So, you're deporting me just because I tried to feed myself, huh? That's what this is all about, you know. Just a big misunderstanding. You will not be deported, undocumented individual 3A419SI-Alpha. You will be recycled. What? Like hell I will! Please remain calm. The recycling process will begin shortly. You are being given this opportunity to make any final notes of record and to identify any next of kin you would like us to contact. Go recycle yourself! I'm leaving. Linus walked over to the door and punched it as hard as he could. It didn't budge. Please remain calm. The recycler is impervious. Do not make your final moments stressful. These aren't my final moments! Linus punctuated each word with a heavy blow to the door, slamming his knuckles into it over and over. The skin of Linus's knuckles split, but the door remained steadfastly closed. Please remain calm. The recycler is impervious. Do not alter. Linus drew on the door with his bloody knuckles. It collapsed into dust, billowing a choking cloud of powder into the hallway. Linus strode out to the sound of alarms, breathing shallowly with the edge of his paper pajama shirt pulled up over his mouth and nose. All personnel remain calm and evacuate to the nearest safe location. Recycler 14 has failed. Undocumented individual 3A419SI-Alpha is at large. Do not attempt to apprehend. Police units are on their way. Protect yourself first, and others once you are in a safe location. Remain calm. Police units are on their way. Linus squinted through the powdery fog he had created. He could see silhouettes of people running for cover, bare suggestions of human outlines in the mist. They were hunched over, coughing as they fled. They were no threat to him, and quite possibly would unknowingly lead him to an exit. Linus broke into a jog and gave chase. By the time he rounded the first corner, he had left the powder cloud behind. The man he was following was a standard office worker type. He was dressed in a slightly wrinkled button-down shirt and tan pants, and shoes that were not made for running on the smooth tile hallways. He looked back at the sound of Linus's bare feet slapping the floor, and his eyes grew wide. He let out a squeak, dropped the bag he was holding, and took off at a run. Faster! yelled Linus, hoping to spur the man on to an exit. I'm coming for you! He made sure to gain enough ground to keep the fear alive in the office worker, but not enough to actually catch him. The man's dress shoes slipped and slid at every corner, making Linus's pursuit barely even a challenge. Suddenly, red laser dots sprang up on the wall just before a corner, and Linus skidded to a halt. The office worker sprinted and slid around the corner, and Linus heard a robotic voice boom out, Get to safety, Citizen 3U940XOEpsilon. Remain calm. This situation is under control. Linus backed up cautiously, not liking the sound of that. The rumble of heavy treads echoed down the hallway, and Linus took refuge in a doorway, 
watching the laser dots herald the advance of the police units. The first of them rolled into view, and Linus bit back a curse. The robots stood easily eight feet tall, mounted on parallel treads providing a solid, untippable base. It was heavily armored and bristled with weaponry. As it rounded the corner, the laser dot swept toward Linus. He thrust himself backward against the closed door as the police unit fired. A bullet bit into the doorframe where Linus had just been standing. No phone this time, I guess, Linus thought as he smashed the door open, prompting several shrieks from inside the room. Linus ignored them, working instead to hurriedly jam the door back into its frame. He turned around to see a collection of cubicles running down the center of a long room, creating a hallway on either side. Remain calm, he announced to the people he knew were hiding somewhere inside. The situation is under control. It wasn't, of course. Not remotely. But Linus figured that might confuse the office workers enough to just stay hidden, which was all he needed from them right now. They weren't his problem, as long as no one decided to be a hero. Remain calm, he called again, hurrying down the long corridor. Police units are on their way! The far end of the office ended in a blank wall, no exit present. Linus cast a panicked gaze around and, to his relief, spotted something close enough. A ventilation shaft. Leaping onto a desk, he seized the grating and tore it away, exposing narrow ductwork. It would be a tight fit, but the good news was that the police units would definitely never fit in there. Linus forced his way into the duct, seeking any purchase with his hands to help pull himself along. He was still stuck halfway out of the vent when he heard the muffled, booming voice of the police robot. He couldn't make out its words, but if he could hear it, there was a good chance it could see him. Linus pulled desperately forward, finally managing to squeeze his legs inside. He wriggled rapidly down the narrow tunnel, feeling it clang and sway beneath him. He could only hope that he was still behind walls or in drop ceilings, and not in some exposed area, vulnerable to attack from below. He spotted the first turn with relief, eager to get himself out of a straight line from the pursuing police unit. Halfway through the turn, though, he was stuck fast. And wriggle though he might, he could not move forward. In Linus's mind's eye, the red laser sign of the police unit was already on his backside. He strained and swore, but made no progress. Finally, in desperation, he slammed his face against the wall, breaking his nose. Blood spurted, and Linus reached back at an awkward angle to once again alter his body. Slime sprang out of every pore, a thick coating. Linus shot forward, gliding to the duct like an eel through a coral crevice. His pants remained behind, trapped at the corner. But with his new body, Linus could move faster without them anyway. He unbuttoned his shirt and abandoned it as well, shooting through the ducts at a speed faster than he could have run. Linus became aware of a quiet whining noise just as he navigated a corner and came face to face with a police drone, cautiously maneuvering its way through the maze. It fired a foam pellet as soon as it saw him, and Linus barely dodged back in time. The pellet struck the wall and immediately began expanding, blocking the path ahead. From behind the foam, the police drone intoned, Undocumented individual 3A419SI Alpha, you are... But Linus had already reversed course, lithely turning back on himself to speed away. Before he reached a juncture, however, he began to hear that quiet whine again, the sound of rotors echoing off the narrow metal walls. 
Linus increased his pace, hoping desperately for an exit. But in seconds, the drone was rounding a corner ahead of him and firing its pellets of orange foam. With his new slime coating, the pellet found little purchase on Linus, but it stuck to the walls without an issue, and its rapid expansion sealed off the ductwork. Now, trapped on both sides, Linus knew it was only a matter of time until they sent something to cut through to retrieve him. He slid back and forth as if an exit would magically appear. There was one way out, of course. He just really didn't want to use it. Suddenly, hot metal droplets flew from the floor of the duct and ahead of Linus. The actinic light of a blowtorch lit up the tunnel, slicing away a section of the floor. Somewhere open, Linus thought. Somewhere safe. Somewhere without all of this... technology. Undocumented Individual 3A419SI-Alpha, the police unit boomed, sticking its armored head into the duct. It swiveled around, taking in a full 360-degree view. Aside from a thick, glistening layer of slime, the narrow tube was empty. Corruption, reversal, evidentiary, concupiscent, negatory, affirmation, acerebral, ponderosity, nebulates, rough millennia, inconsistently reaching, seeking, touching, taking, hurting, helping, correction, imprisoned, expulsion, incompatible, Judiciary, denigration, felonious, misconduct. Linus lay in an open field, chest heaving. Grasses grew high around him, hiding him from view. His mind was in agony, flayed open and left quivering. His body throbbed, beating to an alien pulse he did not dare to think too much about. He simply lay on the ground, slime pooling around him while his internal organs remembered their jobs and slowly began to function again. A soft breeze rustled the grasses and chilled the slime coating Linus, cooling him and slowing his heart rate. The calm white light of the moon washed over him, bathing him in its gentle radiance. The moon's back to normal, Linus thought. There's that, at least. Linus closed his eyes and let sleep take him. This episode of Horror Hill is proudly brought to you by Best Fiends. How do I feel about them? I don't know. It's been a few years now, I guess we keep in touch. I mean, we had our good times. College was great. High school not so much, but we made it through. I mean, I guess we didn't really have that much in common. I constantly found myself pretending to like sports and going through the motions and... Nodding and smart. Wait, what? Oh! You said Best Fiends! Oh, okay, I gotcha. No, Best Fiends is great. Woo! Man, good thing you stopped me there. Ah, Best Fiends. The free to download casual mobile puzzle game that I just cannot put down. Especially when I'm pretending to pay attention to sports. I just say I'm checking scores. And when you've had enough sports. Even now, you can always clear a few levels on Best Fiends. What's my favorite thing about Best Fiends? What isn't my favorite thing about Best Fiends? That satisfying rush of adrenaline upon completing a level? That finely tuned difficulty curve that keeps the game fresh and challenging? That blanket of warmth and companionship I get when I unlock new endearing characters who each bring their own unique edge to the game 
And our totes adorbs. Yeah, I said that. Maybe a little 2014. Even for me. But I don't care. Because I'll tell you right now. I'm starting to think my best friends are best fiends. So, with over 5,000 levels and more added all the time, take boredom out to a secluded spot in the woods, allow it some time to listen to the birds, breathe some fresh air, and reflect on life, then take out Best Fiends and put boredom out of its misery. Download Best Fiends free today on the Apple App Store or Google Play. Remember, that's friends without the R. Best Fiends. Don't make my mistake. One more time, that's Best, F-I-E-N-D-S, Fiends. Thank you for your support of this program and of the sponsors that make it possible. A slight tickle, then a firmer caress. Linus awoke to the touch of fingers on his cheek. He opened his eyes to find a hairy face hovering above his own, large brown eyes staring back at him from inches away. He shouted and thrust himself backward, scooting away along the ground. The creature investigating him hooted in alarm, leaping backward as well. The two regarded each other for a moment from wary crouch positions, each waiting to see what the other would do. Linus shook off the cobwebs of sleep and realized that he was facing off against some manner of monkey. The absurdity of the situation, of everything he had been through, struck him all at once. Without meaning to, he began to laugh. It was a deep, body-shaking belly laugh, which bubbled up from a place somewhere between humor and hysteria, and it went on for a long time. The hominid watched him in amazement for a moment and then began to laugh as well. The two of them sat on the ground, hooting, whooping, and crying, occasionally making eye contact and going into fresh gales of laughter. Finally, it petered out. Long minutes later, Linus wiped his eyes feeling refreshed. That had cleansed something from him, though he wasn't exactly sure what. Something that had needed it, in any case. Linus rose from the ground, even standing only his head and shoulders protruded above the tall grass. He reached down a hand to his new companion. He regarded it with distrust. Um... Uh, it's okay, he said gently, as if speaking to a strange and shy dog. I'm not going to hurt you. Come on. He gestured with his fingers, and after a moment, the creature took his hand with its own and allowed itself to be drawn to its feet. It was no more than four feet tall, its back slightly hunched as if it was not fully committed to standing upright. It wore no clothes, but had on both a necklace and a bracelet, clearly designed as a matched set. It patted Linus's hand with both of its hands, then carefully let go. Something behind the hominid caught Linus's eye, a movement in the grass that seemed out of sync with the wind. You got any friends out here? Linus asked, watching the ripple closely. It was hard to see, but he was fairly certain it was moving closer. Cause I think they're looking for you. The hominid looked up at Linus and hooted something interrogatory. What? asked Linus kneeling to bring their faces on a level. I can't. The grass around them exploded into life. Eight or more hominids burst from hiding, attacking from all sides. They bared their teeth and brandished primitive wooden spears, stabbing with the fire-hardened points. Linus took three or four deep, 
debilitating stab to the back and side before he even knew what was happening. He rose to his feet, bellowing, and the assailants recoiled in momentary fear before hooting their defiance and pressing the attack. Linus could feel his blood gushing down his side, mixing with the slime which had once again saved his life. Several of the spears had skidded off of him, turned aside by the slippery coating, and, try as they might, the attackers could not get a grip on him to hold him down. Linus backhanded one of the hominids hard enough to lift it entirely off its feet, its head snapping backward with a report like a rotten branch breaking. He grabbed the next spear stabbed at him and flung the creature holding it to the ground, where he stomped on the side of its skull. His bare foot stung with the impact, but the other attackers drew back, muttering to each other in alarm. It was the space Linus needed. Alter. He drew in his own blood and the bleeding stopped. Alter. And his hands became great jagged-edged blades, the fingers shortening into stubby claws designed to rend and tear. He gave the monsters no chance to recover, but leapt into them with wild abandon, striking out all around him with his new deadly weapons. One dropped with a deep gouge to its chest, its spear split in half from the force of the blow. Another fell with blood gushing from its throat, its head nearly severed from its body. Linus roared, and the others scattered, dropping their weapons and fleeing into the protective grass. Breathing heavily, Linus turned in a swift circle to make sure no others were behind him. He stopped short when he saw, lying among the bodies, the hominid who had first found him. The body was face down, stabbed a dozen times in the back, so matted and bloody that even when Linus rolled it over to confirm that it was the one he had first seen, it still took a moment to be sure. Linus felt a fury rising in him which peaked when he realized the necklace and bracelet were gone, looted from the body in the heat of battle. He let out a barbaric, anguished scream that echoed across the still night. Nipping his hand into the cooling blood of his short-lived companion, Linus once more altered his form. Wind flattened the grasses below Linus as he took to the skies, all four bat-like wings beating furiously to lift him from the ground. From this new vantage point, he could clearly see the surviving hominids cowering in the grasses. He shrieked his rage and dove at the first one, slamming into it with enough power to plunge one clawed hand entirely through its chest. Linus pulled out a fist dripping with gore, full of viscera and shattered bones, and held it aloft to the sky. He smashed the bloody handful into his mouth, gagging at the taste and stabbing himself with the bone fragments. Alter. And now, his elongated mouth was full of serrated teeth, and bony plates designed to slice and crush. The next bite was sweet. To the air again, and now the three remaining hominids were actively fleeing, their frenzied movements easy to track. Another scream, another dive, and one was on the ground screaming as Linus tore it limb from limb and consumed it in a fierce, uncontrollable bloodlust. Every bite restored his strength, stoked his anger. Linus consumed this one down to the bones, furious when he realized that it was not the one with the bracelet and necklace. He flapped his wings to rise again, only to find that he was too heavy. Cursing, Linus settled back to the ground, folding his wings. He looked out over the tall grass but saw nothing but the gentle swaying of the wind. The night around him was still, his murderous rage having terrified everything into hiding or flight. 
Taking a broken rib from the shattered heap at his feet, Linus carefully began to carve into his own flesh. It felt more right than the temporary blood runes had been. More powerful. He cut deeply, appreciating the pain. It was a good sacrifice to make. Alter, and his nose shrank away, nostrils fading into elongated slits with the sensitivity of a shark's. Alter, and his eyes shattered into a dozen tiny orbs apiece, brightening the night around him and expanding his field of view. Alter, and his skin darkened to a mottled hue, the better to blend with shadow and night sky. Linus sniffed the air, testing his new senses. The two remaining hominids had split up, running in different directions, but he could smell each of their paths. The stink of their fear clung to the grass they had passed through. To Linus's nose, it was a bouquet. He chose one to follow and silently stalked it through the night. He never hurried, just walked onward at a steady pace. It was moving faster than he was, but that was fine. Linus wanted it to get home. He wanted to bring vengeance not merely to this creature, but to everything it knew. Dawn was breaking when Linus found a spot where the hominid had curled up for a brief respite, a flattened spot in the grass. It had not rested well, just enough to refresh its energy. Linus, on the other hand, curled up with a sigh of satisfaction, lying down precisely where it had lain, the better to immerse himself in its scent. Linus slept through the majority of the day. He woke at dusk to the sounds of other night creatures stirring. He stretched broadly, expanding each wing out to its maximum length, feeling the pull throughout his entire body. He was rested. He was ready. He was hungry. The scent trail was much fainter than it had been yesterday, but still not particularly difficult to follow until the tall grasses gave way to open plains. Linus dropped his nose to the ground and scented for a while longer, but it was uncomfortable and slow progress. After a mile or so, he abandoned this technique and again took to the air. Just as Linus had hoped, the quarry had returned to its home. Given that the hominids had attacked with fire-hardened spears, the small bright spot of flame burning on the plains was a dead giveaway for the location of the camp. Linus covered the intervening miles with slow, lazy wingbeats gliding silently along and planning his attack. They had scouts, of course, six of them surrounding the camp. Linus took care of those first, swooping in silently and slashing their throats before they could cry out. He took no more than a token bite from each one, enough to take the edge off of his hunger, but not enough to limit his ability to fly. He had already learned from that mistake. The execution of the scouts went perfectly, no alarms were raised. Linus had returned to the air and was tracing a wide circle around the camp when a beautiful idea occurred to him. He returned to the trees where he had left the scouts' bodies and violently tore each head from its body. Dangling the heads by their hair, he brought them high above the camp and sent the morbid missiles raining down into the midst of the sleeping troop. The first soft thud awoke only a few light sleepers. Curiosity brought one over to investigate the noise, but Linus was already throwing down the second and third heads before Curiosity had time to turn to fear. By the time the alarm was sounded, Linus was hurling the fourth, fifth, and sixth heads, now picking his targets. 
Panicked hominids hooted, screamed, and tumbled out of trees, watching their fellows struck down by the severed heads of their companions. The camp was in Bedlam. Its members fought amongst themselves for weapons, turning on each other so as not to be left defenseless. And through it all, whenever Linus saw one alone, he would swoop in to deliver a killing blow, vanishing swiftly on the far side of the firelight. Some tried to run. Linus hunted them down. Some tried to hide. He sniffed them out and slaughtered them as well. Only one even knew what was happening, and Linus saved him for last. He recognized that one by his smell and purposefully cut down all of his fellows around him, leaving him standing by himself, bleeding from a dozen shallow cuts, terrified and alone. Linus landed in front of him, wings extended, mouth agape. Where is that jewelry? He snarled, as if the creature could understand him. Truth be told, with his reconfigured mouth, he could not even understand himself. Well, it hardly mattered. Linus could see that the hominid did not have them on him. They must have been taken by the other one. The creature raised its spear, shaking, and Linus fell on him like an abattoir. In seconds, the creature had been reduced to a quivering pile of steaming flesh. And Linus began to dine. He was well into his gorging when a long, low howl caught his attention. He looked up, muzzle bloody, to see a hominid standing at the far side of the fire. His eye clusters caught the weave at neck and wrist of the looted jewelry. This, then, was the final one. Returned home at last. His circuitous route had brought him here, just in time to see the devastation. Linus rose from the corpse before him, hissing and flapping his wings. With a final howl, the hominid escaped into the night. Linus started to give chase, but again found he was too full to fly. Instead, he settled back down to his feast, marking the direction his prey had fled and resolving to begin the hunt anew tomorrow. Hours passed before Linus's new appetite finally began to wane. His belly distended, he wandered blearily over to the fire and curled up next to its warmth as dawn began to peek over the horizon. The air reeked of blood and terror, a gentle lullaby of sense which carried Linus off to sleep. His last waking thoughts were of the final hominid, and whether he would complete his revenge tomorrow or draw the hunt out for a few more days. A searing pain in his back jolted Linus awake. He leapt to his feet, or tried to, finding instead that he was pinned to the ground, tangled beneath thick, anchored ropes. All around him, hooting hominids bashed him with clubs and stabbed at him with spears. One wing snapped beneath the onslaught, then the other. Linus hissed and thrashed, tearing at the ropes with claws and teeth, but dozens of the creatures had surrounded him, and for any one he managed to scare away, two more were there to take its place. Linus attempted to play dead, hoping to lull his captors into lowering their guard, but they were relentless. Even when he did not react, they continued to stab and bludgeon, shattering the bones in his remaining wings, tearing and gouging great chunks of flesh out of his body. Linus knew he was lost. The attack had been too sudden, too well orchestrated. He had no hope of recovery of turning the tide. All he could do now was escape. Linus began digging frantically at the ground beneath him, 
clearing a spot large enough to accept a portal. The book could fix this. The book could make it all right. He just needed to return to it, to read more of it, to accept it. The book would save him. His bladed claws made short work of the dirt, but his strength was running from his body as quickly as the blood. His hands flew quickly through the motions of fetch, preparing the portal beneath him. As it opened, Linus turned his head to stare into the eyes of the nearest hominid, its teeth bared in a feral grin, the weave of its necklace standing out against its hair in the morning light. Club raised to deliver a killing blow to Linus's skull. Before the blow could land, the portal opened, and Linus tumbled through. Immediacy, revolution, consideration, without ablution, religious relevation, commending turquoise, masquerade, hidden. Democration, polishing servitude, amassing, flints, decay, caterwauling, explosion, scar, destruction, multifarious education, cyclopean, carotid. Linus collapsed on his face on a cement floor in a darkened room similar to the warehouse, but much smaller. The songs were shrieking in his head, the colors dancing, the tastes and smells running riot. Every individual wound burned like it had been salted, then cauterized. Yet, he could still feel his life's blood escaping. His wings hung in horrific tatters, bloody curtains draping his weakly struggling form. Alter, he thought, not remembering why. Alter, alter, alter. A mindless chant in his head. Blood pooled beneath him, and he watched it with something approaching interest. That's mine he thought, nearly coherent. I, I need that. Alter, 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 chanted another part of his mind, and the two thoughts finally connected. Summoning all of his strength, Linus managed to drag one clawed hand to the bloody puddle and over to the other hand, laborious inches away. His vision started to fade, the dark room growing darker as he slowly sketched out the repairing, saving lines of altar on his hand. The final line connected. Linus's body snapped back together, or nearly. His wings still hung in rags and he felt as weak as a fawn. The extensive damage had not left the rune enough raw material to work with. But the book was here. Linus could smell it. It was in the earth, hiding in chthonic darkness. But it called out to him. He was right above it, mere feet away. All that separated him was this simple slab. Linus swiped at the cement with his claws. In his weakened state, he barely managed to chip the surface, but he persevered, digging deeper with each swipe. Back and forth, his claws went, shunk, shunk. Suddenly, the ceiling blazed into light and a gunshot rang out. Linus snapped his head up from his work to see at the top of the stairs. Himself. Not him as he was now, but him as he had been. Before altar. Before fetch. Before the book. Too late, Linus understood. The laughter of madness bubbled up in him again, and he bared his teeth as he snarled the beginnings of a laugh. At the top of the stairs, the gun began to bark as each deadly missile found its target. Everything, at last, went mercifully dark. You've been listening to Alterations, 
by author Micah Edwards. I'd like to personally thank you for joining me for this episode of Horror Hill. Don't forget to tune in again next week, when I yet again regale you with a handful of tales to terrify, plumbed from the most depraved depths of the human imagination. Tonight's story was written by and brought to you courtesy of Micah Edwards. Micah Edwards is an author of fiction, horror, sci-fi, and more, with a collection of his works, as well as anthologies he's been included in, on Amazon.com. A graduate from William and Mary with a degree in English and no particular plans to use it, Edwards now finds himself occupying various roles as an author, a comedian, and a database administrator, depending on the day of the week. He resides in Richmond, Virginia, the world's premier home of authors named Micah Edwards. His works run the gamut from superhero noir, as seen in the Experiment series, to non-fiction controversial retellings of the Bible. He has rewritten horror stories for children and fairy tales for adults. In addition to his books, he is also a regular contributor on the No Sleep subreddit, as well as maintaining a weekly serial. For more information about Micah, visit his official website at micah-edwards.com. That's Micah, spelled M-I-C-A-H, dash, edwards.com. You can also follow him and get his latest updates on Facebook, as well as on Twitter, under the handle, at Micah Writes. If you enjoyed what you've heard on today's program, please take a moment to stop by our iTunes page, or wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts, and leave us a five-star review and a kind word. It makes a huge difference, and would mean a lot to me. If you'd like to hear a premium ad-free edition of tonight's and all our other episodes, visit simplyscarypodcast.com today and click the Patrons link in the menu at the top of the screen. You'll find yourself at chillingtalesfordarknights.com, where you can become a patron for as little as $5 per month and get access to our entire audio archive dating back to 2012 including past episodes of this program, all of our other shows, and hundreds of standalone releases, all of them ad-free and available to download or stream. Thanks so much for your time and for giving our sponsors a try today. When you support our sponsors, you help support the show, and that means a lot to me. If you happen to use Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube, you can follow and subscribe to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights there, where you'll get all of our latest updates and new releases and have the chance to interact with us each and every week. You'll find me personally on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as well. Until next week, listener, when we meet up once again atop the horror hill for yet another dance with darkness, I bid you good night. Sleep tight, listener, and whatever you do, if you hear scratching at your door, don't open it. The darkness may have found you, but it's up to you to let it in. <laughs> Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Horror Hill Podcast, a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights, and 
a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com today to learn more about our network and our other amazing storytelling programs. Tonight's program was hosted and its featured stories performed by yours truly, Jason Hill. Selected stories have been adapted with the kind permission of their respective authors. Original music provided by Felipe Ojeda, Luke Hodgkinson, and Jesse Cornett. Final mixing and mastering by executive producer and director Craig Groshak. The program's artwork by yours truly, Jason Hill. Logo by Craig Groshak. Got a terrifying tale of your own that you like performed? I take submissions. Email it to us today at submissions at simplyscarypodcast.com to have your work considered for production in a future episode of this show. That's submissions at simplyscarypodcast.com. If you enjoyed what you heard on tonight's program and are joining us on your favorite podcast app, subscribe to us to be sure you never miss an episode and leave us a five-star review and a comment. Your feedback means a lot to me. You can also follow Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and yours truly on social media to connect anytime and get the latest updates on this and our other programs. If you're listening on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel, do us a favor and hit the subscribe button and the bell notification icon for Chilling Tales for Dark Nights as well to get more spooky tales from me and the crew and another episode of this program each and every week. And don't forget to hit the thumbs up button to tell us how we're doing and leave a kind word. And don't forget to visit us at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com and consider supporting the team by becoming a patron. In addition to helping us out, you'll get exclusive access to our audio archive and ad-free downloads of all your favorite stories, including those you've heard on this program. As for me, I'll be back next week with more terrifying tales to keep you up all night. If darkness is what you're after, listener, your search is over. Yet, let it be known, you haven't found the darkness. The darkness has found you. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly 
which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.